how to live a life that outlives me. Understanding that life does come to an end for all of us at some time. How can we live in such a way that ministry continues, that, that influence, impact, the, the change that is made in the lives of others? How can that continue even when the heart stops beating and we go home to see Jesus? As we think through those things, we've been walking through the book of Acts because in the book of Acts, we're introduced first to 12 and then almost immediately to 120 disciples who were able to outlive their lives. Their influence, the impact that they had on the world continues today. It's, that's proven by the fact that you and I are here to worship the Lord because we've heard about Jesus because of the work of those people who the Bible says turned the world upside down. And so we've been looking and learning from them. This morning we come to the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And as we review that chapter, I, uh, I want us to think together about how we, we want to make sure that we don't write off anybody. We don't write off anybody. That word write off is a financial term and it, it means that we're going we're gonna to take something of value and we're going to adjust it so that it has little value or zero. We write it off. You know, it's very easy for us to do that with people. It's very easy for us to write them off too quickly. Well, they, they messed up, so we write them off. They, they don't look right, and we write them off. They continue to run away from God, and we've been praying for years, and eventually we just write them off. It's very easy for us to, to kind of become judgmental and look at somebody who, you know, maybe, maybe they look different, they have a different style, they, they, maybe they have piercings that we don't like piercings, maybe they have tattoos and we don't like tattoos, and maybe they've got boots and we don't like, but whatever it is. And it's real easy for us to just kind of write them off. They're, we devalue them very quickly. Well, one of the things that we learn from Acts 9 is that if we're going to outlive our lives, we don't want to write off anybody because it's amazing what God can do for anyone. It's obvious that God's going to take care of you and me because we're the good guys, <laughs> right? It's amazing to think how he is willing and able to love and care for everyone. We're the ones who write them off too quickly. Look with me. In the book of Acts, we're going to start at chapter 9, verse 1. It starts with a story that you're familiar with. Saul, 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that means they were Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was a big wig in Jewish circles. He was a pharisaical somebody. And he hates these new disciples, this way. He hates them because they're, they're claiming that the carpenter from Nazareth was the Messiah that all the Jews have been looking forward to for hundreds of years. They've been longing for this Messiah to come. And now there's this little group of rabble-rousers who are confusing everyone by saying that Jesus was that Messiah. Paul, Saul, hates what he sees happening. I think part of his motive might have been right in that he was looking for Messiah. He just completely misunderstood who Messiah was. Obviously, his methods were completely wrong because he says, let me go, let me go take them captive. Anybody who believes in Jesus, let me take them captive. I want to drag them back to Jerusalem. And when we get them here to Jerusalem, we can try them and we can, and, and we can, we can torture them, whatever it is they wanted to do. So he gets letters from the high priest that gives him permission to go to the synagogues in Damascus. That was the only churches they had, the closest thing to churches. Remember, uh, the, the people who were the first Christians were originally Jews or nothing. And so the, the synagogues were the churches. He said, let me go to the synagogues. Let me find those who are, who are in the way, who are believers in Jesus, and let me bring them back. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I don't know, was the light so bright? Or was he taken off guard so much that his entire being went into shock? What happened, we don't know, but his, his sight was gone. I thank God, however he chose to do it, I think God did something in Saul that took away his physical sight in order that he might awaken his spiritual sight, that he might learn to see the truth and the reality. And so he heard the voice say, I am Jesus, and when you persecute my people in Damascus, you're persecuting me. Saul's entire world is shaken. He goes blind. His people help him get to his destination in Damascus. And he spends three days staring into empty space and not seeing a thing. Not eating. 
just waiting. For whom or for what is he waiting? God just said, go to the, the Lord, said, go to Damascus, and I'll tell you when you get there. Saul goes blind, and he doesn't eat, he doesn't move, he just sits. He's waiting, but he doesn't know for whom. While he's waiting in silence and in darkness, God is opening the eyes of another. There's a man who lives in Damascus named Ananias. Now, when you hear Ananias, you immediately think Ananias and Sapphira. They're the famous ones. This is a nobody. Same name as the more famous one, but not the same guy. You've never heard of this guy, Ananias. We know nothing about him, have no idea who he's related to, have no idea what he did for a living. He is a nobody. And yet, God chooses to use him to ultimately change the world. Look at verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, say what? You have got to be kidding. I've heard of this Saul from Tarsus. Everybody done been talking about him. That's everybody. That's Never mind. We all know who this guy is. He's got a reputation. We know. What happened was some of, the, uh, some of the folks in Jerusalem found out that Saul was on his way. And we believe that somehow they traveled more quickly. And by the way, Saul was hanging out in, remember, he was hanging out in a dark room for three days. So these folks come from Jerusalem and they let the believers in Damascus know what's going on and word spread quickly like wildfire. Saul of Tarsus, he's coming and he's going to kidnap us, arrest us, perhaps kill us. And here is Ananias, a man of God, a believer already with Jewish heritage, but a believer in Christ. Ken Miedema was a singer in the 70s and 80s, and he pictured Ananias just sitting by the window praying, wondering what the Lord might say. And then he hears Ananias. Go see Saul. Ananias says, what? I need to get that hearing aid checked. I've got a problem with that thing. Um, I'm going to pretend I just didn't hear that. So he's sitting by the window praying. 
And God says, Ananias, go see Saul. Ananias says, God, you got to be kidding. You're going to send me. I was right here praying. I was the good guy. And you're going to send me to Saul? Verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Ananias, go. Go because I have a plan for Saul. Saul is going to be the dude. He's going to be the one who's going to share my name. He's going to take my name. He's going to tell the gospel to Gentiles and Jews and kings and the whole world. It's amazing that God would take a murderer, a religious, holier-than-thou, judgmental, sorry, no good murderer and use him to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all know about Saul who became Paul. But would Saul have become Paul had there not been an Ananias? You see, Ananias did show up. He did follow through. Verse 16 said that God said, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 17, Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Talk about power in one word. Brother. They were enemies. But because God was at work, something was happening. And Ananias says, Brother, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Amazing to think what happened to Saul. Amazing to think that God used a nobody to make it happen. We can't write off Ananias. And he couldn't write off Saul. We can't say Ananias is a nobody and write him off like he doesn't matter. Because had there been no Ananias, there might not have been the change in Paul. Now, that's not to limit God's ability, but God had chosen this way. We can't write off Ananias, and he couldn't write off Saul. Ananias said, God, he's too far gone. He's too bad. 
it's too late for him. And God said, be quiet and do what I told you to do. Crowder paraphrase. We can't write off Ananias because he's a nobody. And he couldn't write off Saul thinking Saul has gone too far to be saved. So let me ask you two questions. Did you have an Ananias? Was there someone in your life who cared enough to say, I don't believe he's gone too far? I don't believe it's too late for her. I know my friend, my family member, I know that they're full of sin and they're confused and they're way gone, but I know my God is bigger than that. Did you have an Ananias who loved you enough and believed God enough to know that you weren't too far? They refused to write you off? And let me ask you a second question. Do you know a Saul? Is there a Saul in your life that you would say, there's no chance. That guy's too far gone. She has made too many bad choices. She is still running from God. He doesn't care about family or faith or God, it's too late. Do you know a Saul? I just want to encourage you. Don't write anybody off. Some of you have been praying for that daughter or son, granddaughter, grandson, You've been praying for that somebody for decades. I want to say to you this morning, as long as you're alive, as long as that loved one is alive, you can't stop. You can't write off anybody. For one simple reason, because no one is so far gone that they're beyond God's grasp or his grace. No one. God's grace is amazing. His reach is So far, it's incredible. He is able and willing to reach into the darkest and to bring someone to light. His timing is confusing for us sometimes. That one for whom we're concerned has free will, and they can keep saying no. God never forces his way. 
And you can't change if they keep saying no. You can't change that. But you can stay faithful. You can keep praying that God would change them. Don't give up. Ananias had every reason to look at Saul and say, ain't no way. But no one is so far gone that they're beyond God's grasp or his grace.